Hey guys, happy summer. It's coming to an end. I am ready for that fall weather and like a just a warm chai tea latte. How about you guys? I am so thankful that you've joined me today for a talk on cord blood banking. Because trust me, most of us have no idea what the difference is between private banking, public banking, why bank? What does that mean for my placenta? cord clamping. We're going to answer all the things. Today, I'm with Catherine Cross of the company Use Anja. Her personal story will grab your heart and you're going to walk away from this episode with everything you need to make or break your decision on cord blood banking. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey, Catherine, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Thank you for being here to talk about cord blood banking. Yes, thank you so much for having me. So I need to know all the things. Yes. I know that you have started this company and it's very important work that you're doing. But I want to know how you got there. So how does one get interested in cord blood banking? Yeah, so it was really a personal connection for me. So when I was three and my little brother was one, he was in a near drowning accident that gave him cerebral palsy. And from there, my parents were looking into treatments for cerebral palsy or just how to generally alleviate the side effects of it. So my parents were looking at umbilical cord blood banking as one of the central means of being able to treat his cerebral palsy. So just trying to find an umbilical cord blood match. Uh, But unfortunately, we couldn't find an exact match for umbilical cord blood. It's really difficult if you're mixed race. And my brother and I are half Chinese and half white. So we weren't able to find one, but we, my family was searching for quite some time. And in that time, just became very familiar with the umbilical cord blood banking space. Uh, So when I was thinking about starting a new business, this was always something in the back of my mind that I thought I should be connected to because I feel very passionate about it and just know a lot about the space. So now I've been basically trying to convince parents of its utility and the possibilities that it has in the future that are for sure growing. Woo, we've got a lot in common. Did you know my son (laughs) has cerebral palsy? Oh, no way. Wow. So this particular topic is very near and dear to my heart because my second child has cerebral palsy. 
And mm, okay. we didn't do cord blood banking with my first, which is a whole okay. thing. So we're going to get into that, right? And how sibling banking might be able to support something like an injury or brain injury, either in utero, at the birth, or after, in the case of your brother, like a um, near drowning incident. So let's start with what's the name of your company and how do we get a hold of you? Yes. So my company's name is Anja. My brother's name was Andrew. So I wanted it to be named after him. So it's Anja, A-N-J-A. And you can get a hold of me through various social media platforms. I try to be as accessible as possible. So our website is useanja.com, U-S-E-A-N-J-A. And we're also, uh, we have that Twitter at and Instagram at, so at useanja. We're also on Facebook as Anja and LinkedIn. And then I've been building out a TikTok where I'm talking about cord blood banking and women's health and things of that nature, which is at Fertility Friend. Excellent. So I'm going to link to all of those in the show notes in case someone's driving right now and can't write down use Anja, but hopefully they'll be able to like, follow, subscribe, do all of the things. I get more questions about cord blood banking than probably any other thing where my clients are confused. Right. They're like, okay, I get some questions about pushing, breathing, you know, do I delay the cord, the cutting of the cord and the clamping of the cord or, you know, there's all different things. But when we get down to the question on my intake form that says, are you interested in donating or privately banking your cord blood? It's like a ghost is in the room. They're like, (laughs) I don't know anything. No one's talking about this. Educate me. And so we spend 30 minutes then talking about what their decision is, you know, prior Mm -hmm. to going into their birth. And so I really want to start right there with you, Catherine. If you could just explain the mission, vision of your company and what cord blood banking is. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. So I think the general mission is to really just be the direct-to-consumer gold standard perfectly branded version of umbilical cord blood banking. And then eventually we're going to look into other means of preventive care and general longevity and wellness type products. But for now, we're focusing on umbilical cord blood banking. And I really think it's very important because as I mentioned, you could use it potentially for people like my brother or your son, or um, I don't know if it's your son or daughter, your child. It is my son. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who has cerebral palsy. And yeah, it's really crucial to bank and milk cord blood because it's FDA approved to treat around 85 diseases. And there's 1300 ongoing clinical trials at the moment looking at using cord blood for other diseases as well. It's really rooted in the science of stem cells themselves. So stem cells are essentially blank cells. Basically, they can be used to replace or repair damaged cells. And as a result, umbilical cord blood is really rich with stem cells and can be used to treat different types of diseases. And umbilical cord blood especially is really unique because it has hematopoietic stem cells. And these are really useful for treating blood disorders and things of that nature. And then the umbilical cord itself and the placenta a little bit as well has a different kind of stem cells. So mesenchymal stem cells they're more so inclined to develop into connective tissue, blood vessels, lymphatic tissue. So they're both definitely useful, but hematopoietic stem cells are especially good for blood disorders and things of that nature. They're just generally more versatile and they're the ones that are FDA approved. 
So both of them are really useful if you can bank the umbilical cord blood as well as its tissue in order to just create a form of peace of mind for yourself that your child will always have access to these stem cells. So if your child ever doesn't, if you decide not to bank umbilical cord blood and tissue, then there is a chance that you could be able to access stem cells later on should your child need it. But that would be through things like bone marrow, which has a much lower volume of stem cells. And it's also a very painful extraction process. Or you could potentially gamble and try to find a match through public banks. But it's actually really difficult to find a match if you're a person of color or especially if you're a mixed child. Like my brother and I are, we're both half Chinese and half white because matching really is aligned with ethnicity. So you basically have to find someone that's your exact ethnic match. And on top of that, there's a pretty high chance of rejection around 71%. So in the same way that organs can be rejected, these kind of stem cells can be rejected. So um, some people just decide not to risk it anyway if they're already sick. So it's really just best if you always ensure that your child has access to their own stem cells. And also, I think a common framework that parents approach umbilical cord blood and tissue with is that they think, oh, it's a super slim chance that my child will get any one of these 85 diseases. So it's not worth it. But I actually challenge that idea because I really am convinced that every parent will use umbilical cord blood stem cells at some point in their lifetime. Even if their child spends their whole life being healthy, for instance, my grandpa recently started showing signs of dementia. And because my family has always known about stem cells, my mom immediately tried to find stem cells for him and was able to. And then he just started showing general mental clarity. So it can be used for anti-aging, even if you spend your whole life being healthy and things like that. So one of my huge missions for the company is just to keep parents up to date with stem cell research updates so that they know when and where they can use their stem cells. And it's not just forgotten about and thrown away, which I think is really common right now. Yeah, it's 85 today. We don't know what that number will be in 40 or 50 or 60 years from now for the number of diseases that these stem cells treat. I have a lot of questions, especially some that listeners wrote in on. So I did an Instagram story and got some questions put in. Okay. The first big question, can you have multiple transfers? Yeah, so that's definitely common for people that want to use cord blood for ongoing treatments and such. But pretty much you can definitely use it more than once. Excellent. This one has sort of haunted me. I know the answer now, but I'm going to ask you so you could tell the whole audience. Is cord blood only good for a sibling or a parent or someone else? Or can a child's own cord blood be used to heal themselves? Yeah. So this is for sure a common misconception on my TikTok when I talk about cord blood banking. Just because it's such a novel concept, it usually goes viral. To me, viral is more than 10,000 views. I've had a video get up to 2.7 million views. And it's always flooded with, I think the most common comment is, I heard it's only good for your sibling, but this isn't true. People have this conception because there's this thought that if a disease is genetic, for instance, then this disease would then transfer to the stem cells. So you couldn't actually use it for the child's own care, but you could use it for their sibling. But the truth is that you could use it for both. So that genetic aspect is definitely true, but there's a lot of diseases. For instance, my brother's cerebral palsy that isn't genetic and his own cord blood could have definitely been used to treat him. And uh, along the same vein, siblings are about a 75% match. 
So siblings can definitely use it as well. That's a high percentage for a match, 75%. (laughs) I know, and this is where I said I kind of get haunted because later I learned, you know, at the time I didn't know my child when I was birthing him. I didn't know he had cerebral palsy. That diagnosis Mm -hmm. came two years later, even though we had like signs and symptoms pretty early on within a couple of months, but I had not done it for either child. And here I am, that small percentage with one of the 85 (laughs) diseases. You know, now it's like, well, should we go to some other country where we found a match and do a stem cell transplant? That gets a little controversial because there's some things that we are looking to do in the United States that they don't let you do here, but say they let you do in other countries. So I say all that because this is really something to think about in your pregnancy, y'all. Like if you haven't considered this, I want everyone listening to really start thinking about how important is science to you, the future, proactive care versus reactive care. These are questions in our parenting philosophy that we need to ask ourselves in advance when you're doing your birth plan, when you're doing your birth classes, when you're preparing for birth. Reaching out to at useanja on IG or following the TikTok at Fertility Friend and learning more. I mean, just the fact that you're listening to this podcast today is great. So we're going to dig in a little bit more, Catherine. (laughs) That's okay. The next biggest question was around, of course, ding, 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 cost. Mm -hmm. So on average, what does it cost? at the initial harvest, and then per year to continue banking? Right. Well, so it depends on a couple of factors. So one is whether or not you want to bank your cord blood or your cord blood and cord tissue. So as I mentioned, there's two different types of stem cells, hematopoietic and then mesenchymal. So in the cord blood and cord tissue, respectively, I formally recommend doing both just because why not have more access to stem cells? and different types of them. So if you choose to do cord blood only, then it's obviously cheaper, but I do think it's worth it to have the investment to do both. And then the other factor that decides price is whether or not you wanted to do an upfront cost, which would cover 20 years of storage, and then you can renew it at any time for beyond 20 years. Or if you you can also choose to do a payment plan. So for us, we've been going as low as uh, $20 a month, just depending on how different parents want to adjust their payment plans. So right now, one that we have particularly advertised on our website that's very common is an eight-year payment plan for $35 a month. So you would pay $35 a month over the course of eight years for just cord blood, and that would cover 20 years of storage and also access to our community of pregnant moms, And then I'm currently working out different partnerships for perks and discounts with like prenatal and postnatal products. And if you want to do cord blood and cord tissue, that eight-year payment plan is about 70 a month, so about double. But if you wanted to get it all over with, our very first client wanted to do a completely upfront payment, for instance, for just cord blood, that would be $2,895. And that would also cover 20 years of storage. So you just pay once and never worry about it again. And then cord blood and cord tissue is $4,895. But you're not charged this until after the collection and birth is complete. 
So beforehand, it just requires a $150 down payment uh, so that we can send you our collection kit, which contains all of the things that you would need to actually do the physical collection of the cord blood and or cord tissue. Well, knowing how much Abdullah costs, which is between two and $4,000, and I'm a doula hosting this podcast, <laughs> I think everyone <laughs> would say that's pretty much a deal. One day of your life versus 20 years of an insurance policy. I have a logistics question about business. Yeah. When someone's, say, upfront giving you $5,000 for the cord blood and the cord tissue, life happens, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Lots of companies have gone under. What right. happens if a company, just as an example, I am knocking on wood. I do not wish this upon you, Catherine. <laughs> but what if a medical company who is banking cord blood and cord tissue financially goes under? Is there a liability or an insurance policy where this gets transferred to a different entity? Right. Yeah, definitely a common question. So it actually wouldn't be transferred because we've partnered with a lab that's been in business since around the 1940s. So they're definitely not going anywhere, but they're in charge of our cryopreservation as well as the processing and just general viability count of stem cells and things of that nature. So if that were to happen, for instance, to my business, then I would just make sure that everyone has the correct contact information of this lab partner. And then the lab partner would definitely be able to take it from there. So nothing would happen with any of the blood and tissue products. It would just be a matter of contacting someone else. But yeah, they, they've been doing, they are mainly specializing in blood drives and things of that nature. So they're just very well equipped to handle the processing and cryopreservation. And they are super on top of AABB accreditation. They're FDA approved and have been for some time. So yeah, I really trust them with all of our products. Thank you for answering that question. I don't know if all business owners would answer that. <laughs> but, you know, as a mom, as a consumer, as a doula who is advising on these types of decisions daily, you know, it is something that people think about, right? Is right. if we're talking about a long-term investment for a product that might be needed to, it's, you know, it's almost like equivalent to storing your eggs, you know, for 10 or so years, like you have to think about the longevity about where they're going. So thank you for right. entertaining that question. All right. Sure. Another question that came in that I think is, you know, a really cool question is what is the difference between private cord blood banking with Usanja and mm -hmm. donating your cord blood and your cord tissue in a public bank? Yeah. So private banking just ensures that you yourself always have ownership and decision-making about what happens with your cord blood and cord tissue. So you could make sure that your child is the only one that ever has access to it. Or if, for instance, you had a friend who had a child that really needed it and you felt so inclined to give it up to them as well, then you could do that. So private banking just ensures that you always are the sole decision-maker of what happens to your cord blood and cord tissue. But if you donate it, you are pretty much giving it up to uh, use for someone else. But as I mentioned, it's really hard to find a match in the first place. And on top of that, there's a high chance of rejection. So while it is really noble to donate and there is someone that could potentially benefit from it, I think parents are really just better off making sure that they have their own cord blood. So my 
clear vision for what my dream future would be is that every parent is able to bank their own cord blood and cord tissue so that they always have their own access. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Okay, so in regards to public use then, if you privately bank with Use Anja and then say 10 years down the road, your niece or nephew or cousin or neighbor or something like that has leukemia. And mm-hmm. you're like, hey, let's, we have this cord blood. Let's see if you're a match, you're a match. So then it, it would be at the parent's discretion to donate it out more publicly, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's the parent's discretion to do whatever they would like because they're basically just paying us to do the service of the freezing. But what they do with the product is pretty much up to their own discretion. And then what if someone changes their mind? So what if they pay you and then three months later, they are like, you know what? I don't want to keep paying this bill. Can they just stop at any point? And then the cord blood and tissue is disposed of? Yeah, they could stop at any point and they would not have access any longer to the cord blood and cord tissue. Okay. Now, would it just be disposed of or would it go to a public bank at that point? Yeah. So we're still working that out, but I'm trying to get it so that it's donated to a public bank. Okay. Sorry, I'm asking all the hard questions. No, no worries. (laughs) I'm just like, you know, I'm doing a mix of my own curiosity and then like the things that my doula clients and my IG following have kind of popped up in my feed about. Okay. I am interrupting this episode with Catherine about cord blood banking because she has offered all of the listeners of the Bursary podcast a discount code. So you can go to useanja.com, that's U-S-E-A-N-J-A.com and use code BIRTHSTORY for $100 off when you choose private cord blood banking with Use Anja. Now, back to this episode. Let's talk a little bit more about these diseases in these stem cells. So we threw out this number, 85 diseases. Right. Can we talk about a couple of them that it could make a life-changing difference? Yeah, definitely. So cord blood is FDA approved as a treatment for lymphomas, certain tumors, anemias, inherited red cell abnormalities, leukemias, uh, some inherited immune system disorders, bone marrow cancers, and inherited metabolic disorders. But a lot of the ongoing clinical trials are currently looking at using it for hearing loss. And this is the cord blood or cord tissue stem cells. So collectively, their clinical trials looking at it being used for hearing loss, autism, cerebral palsy, congenital heart defects, Crohn's disease, diabetes, Parkinson's, general anti-aging, like I mentioned with my grandpa who was showing early signs of dementia, stroke, large brain injuries, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, heart disease, liver disease, and general injury healing. So it can really definitely be used for a wide variety of disorders and such. But a lot of these clinical trials, even though I feel like clinical trials has a connotation that is in its early stages, but for instance, with cerebral palsy, there's been quite a successful ongoing study at Duke University for the past couple of years, which is how my parents found out about umbilical cord blood. And they've been pretty successful. They've had successful stem cell transplants where kids who have cerebral palsy or other neurological 
disorders and such are showing mass motor skill improvements within even the first year of receiving a stem cell transplant. So although it's in clinical trial phase, it's definitely already showing progress and could definitely be used for that. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually had a doula client who went to Korea with their daughter to have a stem cell transplant because the type of cerebral palsy she had wasn't approved yet in the Mm. United States. So it's really important that we have these options available and that we continue to do these clinical trials. So I know cerebral palsy is near and dear to my heart and to your heart. And so let's talk about your brother and my son for a little bit. Sure. And let's talk about how cord blood banking, if we had made that decision, if your parents had made that decision, if I had made that decision, what are some key things that we believe from these clinical trials and the data that we've seen of the types of changes that would occur if they had access to stem cells? Right. For sure. Yeah. Well, so within this Duke University study that I mentioned, people were showing mass motor skill improvements and things of that nature. And so I think for my brother, for instance, his near drowning accident was pretty severe. So he couldn't walk or talk, could really just smile. And that was his main like response mechanism, but he had a lot of involuntary movements. And he actually passed away this past February, which is why I created Anja, but he passed away due to ongoing pneumonia complications. And it really was because of things like he had a lot of phlegm buildup in his chest, for instance, and wasn't able to voluntarily cough it out or didn't really know to. So coughing was involuntary and just sort of happened when necessary and things like that. So if he had access to cord blood, for instance, and the stem cells could have potentially helped his motor skills. And from there, he would have probably been able to recover more easily from pneumonia and then may have even prevented his passing and things like that. So to me, I definitely think it's super, could have been super impactful. Yeah. And so let me see if I've got this right. So the stem cells essentially are blank cells. So they can get injected into the body and go target where there has been injury or damage. Yes. And create new cells. Yeah. Basically replace or repair cells that are damaged. And so he definitely had a lot of damaged brain cells. Gosh, science is so cool. But part of science right now, where we're at in this is making a choice, saying yes, and also having the financial resources to be able to say yes, right? Not everyone who's pregnant has the ability to say yes to this. And that's Almost why it's so important that if we do have the ability to say yes, that we're kind of like on the front lines in a way. I look at it almost as like donation or giving to Mm -hmm. towards science and research for those that can afford it or investing in everyone else so that this science can continue to evolve. Catherine, I am just so proud of the work that you're doing. And I'm so proud that you took a story and a, a major life event like I mean, we don't have an hour and a half to talk about what it's like to have a child or sibling with cerebral palsy, but significantly changes and impacts your life to have taken that and turned it into something beautiful. And I love that. It's in honor of his name, too. So thank you for doing this work. 
Yeah, I love it. I I always love marketing and social media and things like that, but I also really love impact and healthcare as a result. So I think this is a good combination of the two because I really want this to be aligned with like the premium wellness products, like placental facials and like things like that that are like seemingly not a necessity, but could be. And so I, I guess I really want this to be seen as really a necessity, but also something that's glamorous and could have a really good user experience and just be a good product. Yeah, I like what you're doing. I think branding it is absolutely the way to go, right? Making the consumers understand what this is. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast too, right? Like just education. Like, what is it? Why do we do this? How do we do this, right? And I guess that leads me to how do we do this? So if someone's pregnant right now, they're listening to this podcast, they're like, okay, Heidi, Catherine, you've you've sold me. Like, I've got to do this, right? And they go to useanja.com. What does that process look like? So can you walk me through the user experience? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if you go to our website, then in the corner or on the main page, there's an enroll button. So we definitely try to keep it as easy as possible. So you just hit enroll. It'll take you to a list of our different payment plans. If you want to discuss alternative payment plans or things like that, then you can definitely feel free to contact us at the bottom. We have a mail button so you can email us or me specifically. So our general company email is hello at useanja.com. And so we respond within 24 hours and we can get back to you to work something out. And so also another thing that we've been in the works with is a fund where more affluent parents can definitely donate to help sponsor more low-income parents. So we can for sure work something out if accessibility is a problem from a financial standpoint. But in any case, beyond that, once you choose a payment plan through our website or discuss one with us separately, then you just hit enroll under the payment plan that you want to enroll with. And then it will take you to a page where you just insert your credit card information and shipping address. And then we will ship you our collection kit. And the collection kit contains a blood bag with anticoagulants, a couple of vials to collect the mother's blood so that we can test it and things of that nature. And then there's also a small jar for the umbilical cord itself if you decide to collect tissue. And so with all of those, you can just store it, the entire box at room temperature and keep it with you throughout the duration of your pregnancy. And then whenever you are giving birth, then you just bring it with you. So it basically becomes a part of your hospital bag. And if you're giving birth in a hospital, you just let your admitting nurse know that you are collecting cord blood Uh, But if you're also doing a home birth with a doula or midwife, um, I know a lot of doulas and midwives tend to have experience with this too. So if they have had experience, then it's generally pretty easy. But if they haven't, then we're also happy to hop on a Zoom call and walk them through the process. But we have instructions with pictures inside too. Yeah, I appreciate that because I was going to ask you about home birth. I know that the birth centers for anyone that's planning a hospital birth or birth center birth, like they have a release form they are equipped to do this. Once it is, let's say it's a hospital birth and you've given birth, it's collected. Well, now you may have to stay in the hospital for one to three days. Mm -hmm. What do you do with it once it's collected? Yeah, so you just leave it with you in the hospital and you call our shipping team. So there's a phone number on the box 
And so you can call up the shipping team and they will pretty much come pick it up within the first 24 hours. So after the collection, you don't have to worry about anything. And then we will get it and bring it to our lab, as I mentioned. And then they will process it, create a certificate that has a stem cell count and things like that. And then we'll get that to you within the first month. Does insurance pay for any of this? No, but I actually started having meetings this morning with insurance providers. So I am definitely trying to be an advocate on the front line for it to be covered with insurance or at least offered through employee benefits packages. So if any of the listeners happen to work in insurance, then also feel free to hit me up. (laughs) I have another question though, because this is where the insurance question came up is, If it's a collection from, you know, the doctors and the nurse, they're doing work to collect it. So that's really important. Like you as the birthing person are not like reaching down and putting a needle in your umbilical cord and extracting cord blood. Your Mm -hmm. medical team is doing that for you. That's why I asked about insurance. Would they expect to get a separate bill for the um, for the collection from the hospital? Yeah. So some providers definitely do request compensation. And that's part of the reason why it is an expensive process to bank in local cord blood, because we have varying costs like that, that we want to make sure that we account for. So we cover that. Okay. I was just thinking about that. And then I thought if I'm laying there and I've just given birth, I want to make sure that I'm not responsible for collecting the cord blood. <laughs> so right, right. Um, So the the midwife, if you're at a home birth would do that your midwife or obstetrician, if you're at the birth center or you're at a hospital birth would be, or maybe even your nurses would be doing that um, collection for you. Right. So you said within 24 hours, it will come. Do you service rural areas as well? Or is this just major metropolitan cities? Yes, definitely. Yeah. We're US-wide, definitely plan on launching international within the first couple of months or the next couple of months. So we're, we'll definitely be reaching rural areas. I think that's definitely a large portion of the population that doesn't know about umbilical cord blood banking and they're just not being reached. So for sure, democratizing access and raising awareness about this is one of my high priorities. Thank you. Because this is advocacy work at its core. So, <laughs> if anyone has just heard her say like in the next couple of months, I will note that we are recording this in August of 2021. So whenever you are listening to this podcast, it was recorded in August of 2021. Catherine, as our time together is ending, I think there's like two other questions that are boiling to the surface for me since I have multiple children. And so I know you mentioned that this was 75% match for siblings. And so that what I heard was it's 25% of the time it's not. And so do you recommend if parents are family planning for multiple children to bank the cord blood and cord tissue for each individual child? Yes, I definitely would because there's still that 25% chances you mentioned where they're not a match. And beyond that, in the chance that there's genetic disease that carries over to the stem cells and you definitely want to ensure that it can be used for each child. So I know some parents, if you're going to choose to bank it at all, then once is better than none, but I would definitely try to do every child. I was also thinking about how I want to live forever. And so when you said it was like (laughs) a 50% match for parents, I'm like, so there 
would really literally be an opportunity that like if I got some one of those diseases, those 85 diseases, there's a chance that like me getting pregnant, having a baby and banking their cord blood could literally save my life. Yes. Yeah. Because it's a 50% chance match for parents as well. So sort of my sister's keeper-esque, but it could definitely be used for yourself. Mm, I just think it's beautiful science. So yeah. Okay. And then before you go, like I think about my money just going into an abyss, like I give it to you and then you say that this carrier picks up my (laughs) package and takes it somewhere. (laughs) But is there a way to like track that? Can I like, you know, just like I can check in on my eggs and my embryos, like, can I check in on my cord blood and my cord blood tissue? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we're currently developing out means of parents being able to be really connected to the products, track status and things like that. But right now, if you just wanted to have a general status update, then you can just email us. Hello at useanja. As I mentioned, we respond within 24 hours. So we can for sure get back to you with a general product status update. And we will try to update you on a regular basis, even if you don't solicit it as well. Okay. Thank you. I mean, maybe everyone doesn't want to babysit their cord blood like I would want to. (laughs) Could they make the decision in the moment? Like if there's a birth injury? Yeah. um, Like when I knew my kid had lost his heartbeat and they were like push and I was like, oh shit, this is not going to be good. You know what I mean? Because he was without oxygen for so long and they're whisking him away to the NICU. Like at this point, could someone say, could the doula or someone speak up and say, let's harvest that cord blood just in case there's a brain injury? Yeah, so they could, but we they would have to have pretty fast access to one of our collection kits. Yeah, it's dependent on how soon they they notify us. Okay. So this is my point I'm going to make with that to my audience is that okay. when I'm doing my planning with my doula clients and we're talking about placenta encapsulation, I have some clients that are like all in, right? And then others that are all out and then others that are on the fence and they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, if you are on the fence, your answer needs to be yes, because I can't go back and get that cord blood. I can't go back and get that placenta. I can't work backwards, right? Right. So as an example, we know ingesting your placenta can really help help quickly raise your iron levels. So we don't know if you're going to hemorrhage at your birth, right? Like we have no idea if you're going to have a postpartum hemorrhage. But if you do, I know your placenta encapsulation pills and placenta therapy could really help you. Just like we don't know if your child's going to sustain a birth injury with a double nuchal cord until they're delivered. So just something I want my audience to ponder, right? Like I don't want everyone to be in fear, but part of this podcast is education through storytelling so we can make informed decisions. You could hear Catherine and I speaking today and think, "Mm, no thanks, not for me. (laughs) Or you could think, oh gosh, you know what? Like, wow, that two to four or $5,000 doesn't seem like a lot for the potential of 85 diseases. And I really want you guys to hear my heart on this. I am a mom of a child with cerebral palsy who has to look back And I have to ask myself every day, try not to, but do, is it my fault? Could he be better? Why did I not do this? Why did I say no? 
why did I think I, it wasn't going to be my child? And so I wanted to record this podcast so that I don't put anyone else through this because at least you can say, I learned about it. I was educated about it. I knew what it was and I made decision X, Y, or Z. That's right. my speech for today. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And I would emphasize that it's even going beyond those 85 diseases that are FDA approved to use cord blood as a treatment because for sure the science develops every year. I mean, even recently I read an article about scientists looking at using stem cells for treating PCOS or even treating hair loss. So I think while those are definitely more cutting edge within the past year or so, and it's not common practice to use stem cells for those reasons, definitely within five or 10 years, it could be common practice. So you're really investing now into the future of medicine, which is certainly developing. It absolutely is. So I think everyone's got the process, right? Like we reach out to useandra.com, we get our collection kit, we pick our package, we get our collection kit, you bring it to the hospital, you sign your form, they come and pick it up within 24 hours, and then you take a deep breath for the next 20 years. Yes. That's what it sounds like to me. What gestation of pregnancy do you recommend? Like, I know, like, you can go into preterm labor, but like, what do we recommend for proactive care versus reactive care? for making sure by blank gestation, you've got your uh, cord blood banking buttoned up? Yeah, I definitely think within the second or third trimester, parents should start thinking about it. Giving birth prior to your due date is definitely super common. So it's for sure good to have it aligned so that you can get your collection kit ready to go and things like that prior to the last month of pregnancy. So definitely within the second or third trimester. Thank you. Well, Catherine, this has been so informative and really helpful. I'm really proud of the business that you're growing and I can't wait to be a part of it. So thank you for sponsoring some of the podcast episodes that are upcoming. And before we go, is there anything else that you want to say? No, I don't think so. But I definitely encourage parents to check out Anja and just learn more about the future of stem cells because it's really definitely, I would claim personally that you will use stem cells at some point in your life if you have access to it and are informed. So one of our big goals is to keep parents informed through our communities and things like that. So we plan on having more perks for parents coming up in the next couple of months too. So I really encourage you to think with Anja. Hey guys, when Catherine and I ended our interview, I had to go back and re-ask her two questions because of the quality of the audio. So just stick with it. The first question, Catherine, we're going to re-record is I had asked if we are harvesting 60 to 90 mLs of cord blood and tissue, how much of that is used per transfer? And can you have multiple transfers? You can have multiple transfers in the sense of using it for one treatment, but for one treatment to be effective, you pretty much end up using all of it. Yeah, so the 60 to 90 ends up generally being used just for one single treatment, but you want to get basically as many stem cells as you can within the initial extraction. So sometimes 
thresholds are even as low as 20. So even if you collect 20 milliliters, then that would definitely all be used. But in general, people try to use all of the stem cells that they collect at birth for the one treatment they're looking to use it for. That sounds great. And so the data that we have cited with the 85 diseases, that's on one transfer. Yes. Okay, excellent. Thanks. And the second question we had to re-record is, what happens when the person whose cord blood is being harvested, that little baby, becomes 18 years old? Yeah. So when the child becomes 18, then ownership transfers from the parent to the child. So then they can pretty much decide what they want to do with the cord blood. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Katherine Cross of Use Anja. I have learned so much and I'm quite thankful for Katherine because she is offering all of you $100 off with code BIRTHSTORY when you sign up for cord blood or tissue banking with useanja.com. That's U-S-E-A-N-J-A dot com. $100 off, code BIRTHSTORY. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 